Welcome back to the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. I'm Jeremy Devins, and today I'm here with Susan Marufo. Welcome. Hi. You know, I just got back from teaching a yoga teacher training. Oh, that's you were in Asia, right? Where I were was you? In, I was first in Thailand, and then I was in India, and I was teaching a 300-hour, a level two teacher training in Rishikesh, India. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So... I, yeah, just got back from doing it, so it's all very fresh in my in my experience in my body. Awesome. So for the listeners, uh, you're obviously an international yoga teacher trainer and uh, creator, co-creator of the Samarasa Center, an online yoga membership, and you teach an online course called Yoga, Sex, and Death. And I was telling my friend about this, and he thought I was going to say Yoga, Sex, and Love. Because he heard someone else, you know, someone that teaches that. Uh, and he was like, whoa, death. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> a little different. Uh, but I'm very interested to hear about kind of that process of creating that and what that entails. Because um, I have the astrology, the Jyotish background, Vedic astrology. And those things are all eighth house. Those are all like the kind of same realm of like transformative work, personal growth, deeper work, things that are often like hidden and secretive in society. We don't talk about too much, but they're becoming more and more accessible as everything has. And um, I love that you're doing that because I don't know of anyone else teaching those deeper things that like everybody experiences, everybody knows, everybody talks about in private, but very people like address or talk about or do deep work around it, like in a more open kind of forum, like a training or a course like this. So very interested to hear about this program and how we created it and everything. Well, you know, it's interesting to me to hear you say that about your friend, like, oh, whoa, because I've heard this so many times about just the name, like, that's such a great name. It's such a great name because it gets your attention and people really like, whoa. And I am starting to wonder, <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if it, if the name is just too much for people because what I hear a lot is I want to take it but I'm afraid I'm so I'm scared and so I'm really starting to wonder if actually it scares people um so there's that but there's also the um it's very intentional to name it yoga sex death because it is such a strong name because we do strong work in there and so it kind of automatically just will filter out people who are not really up for and that time in their life anyway, just not ready or wanting to do that kind of deep work. But um, yeah, yoga, sex, and death. Were you going to say something tonight? Yeah, well, no, that's, that is a good filter. It's true. And I actually... My first yoga teacher, Matab Benton in Austin, Texas, I went to an info session at the studio there, Yoga Yoga in Austin. And mm, uh, I've been, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Well, it was, you know, and he, we did these like breakouts. We talked about the training and everything and answered questions. And he said, you know, yoga is really about preparing to die. And I'd never heard anything like that before because I just, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's powerful. And I actually sat with that for a while, like processing what that really means. And 
took me a while to get it, but I, I totally agree now, and I get what he's saying. Like we do shavasana every practice, practice letting go, we practice non-attachment. But uh, even that, like he said that, you know, in our info session, but I never really heard him say that anywhere else after working with him for years after that. It's not the most like upfront kind of thing you usually put out there about yoga, but I love that you are doing that. And it's, it's true. It's, it's what we're big part of what we're doing in the practice. Oh man, I have so many things to say. <laughs> well, it's what that reminds me of is I, I've only taught in a studio at one point in my, well, I used to teach at Kripalu Yoga Center. I, I don't know if that counts, but it doesn't really count in my mind as a studio. It's the whole retreat center. But um, I was teaching in a studio in Dallas at one point, Dallas Yoga Center. And yeah. you know Dallas Yoga Center? Yeah. Okay, so the owner is a very good friend of mine now, um, David Sunshine. Yeah, I've met him. He's great. <laughs> Yeah. This is so funny. Yeah, we just him and I just took a group of people on a tour of South India before the before I had a yoga teacher training. David met me down in India and we took a we took a group on a tour of South India, so that's funny. Yeah. Um I was teaching at Dallas Yoga Center and um I hadn't met David before. That's how I met him because he's like, You have to come here and teach and um, really made it impossible for me to say no. So I went and I was teaching yoga nidra and I was teaching yoga nidra as a practice for death because that was how I learned it. I learned about it in this way. Mm. And I remember he like called me in and he was like, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the approach to take because you know, people go to yoga nidra and they think relaxation, they want to relax. And then here I am like, death, let's practice death. And I don't think it was relaxing for people. So he <laughs> <laughs> was like, maybe you just don't mention death in the yoga nidra. And I was like, well, that's not authentic for me. That's not honest. So I just stopped teaching yoga nidra. But um, <laughs> um. I'm like, I'll wait until I open my own yoga center and then I'll teach it the way I want. And I did. So um, back to what you said about yoga being a practice for death and your teacher saying it was a practice for death. It's like, that's it because yoga is about union, right? And it's the union of the dewdrop meeting the ocean, basically, the realization of the truest self. Um, and in order for the dewdrop to meet the ocean, it seems like the dewdrop has to dissolve into the truth, capital T truth. And so that dissolving is just another word for it is death. It's like the, the small me or the personality or the ego or whatever word you want to use, the Susan as I know myself, um, devolves. And so that's the death piece in yoga. Um, for sure, it's a practice in every turn of just like, what does that mean? Um, but that's the ultimate goal of yoga, if you ask me. Yeah. And we don't talk about it. But, any, but I think yogis, people who practice 
they get it. Right. At least if you have a good guide along the way, it can bring you back to, this isn't about reinforcing an identity of a yogic practitioner. It's, um, don't forget what, you were do what we're doing here. And it's not always to feel happy. I'll talk about pure motive, but I'm just going to stop there for a second um, <laughs> and see, just kind yeah. of check in and see if you had. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really like how you said that, you know, it's not about reinforcing an identity, but that is a lot of what the marketing of yoga has become because once we figured out how to make people look hot doing stretches, it's like, now that's what yoga is. And that's what most people think of what yoga is. And uh, it is about reinforcing, I can do a handstand anywhere on the beach, or I can look good in Warrior Two, and in these yoga pants, hide my stomach. And, and, right. And it's right. Like, <laughs> so hey, it's man, and I'm there. I've been there. Like, <laughs> like I'm, not, I'm not dogging it, because I get it. I understand. Right. And. But it's it's like... Hey, we're human, we're bodies, like let's enjoy that too. And there's there's an element of that in the sex part too. And you know, it's being human. So we have the human experience. That's kind of my attitude. Like, well, we're given these bodies. We're, let's like why just try to get out of it right away and just <laughs> disappear. Like let's enjoy the human experience and be present, enjoy senses and but also not be attached to it, right? And, and not get caught up in that. And that's where the problems happen. Uh, but like in the Upanishads, it's like they talk all, all about immortality. It's like the person who does this becomes immortal. And I think what they're really saying is that essentially it's a version of death. It's like you let go of, oh, it doesn't really matter if I have this job or this relationship or this much money. I'm, I'm connected to the the ocean, you know, and not just this two drop isolated right. from everything else. But it's, it's re in yoga is reinforcing that uh, when we practice in that way. But the cool thing is, I think you practice uh, even just heavily asana based workout yoga in the gym, and you'll get there, you'll, you'll, you'll experience those elements, and you might even eventually, you know, decide you want to just focus on those elements. So it's like the intention, uh, the the root of the practice, I think, comes through no matter like how people find it to a degree. I would really love, I would love that. And I, I love to believe that. And I, I'm all for whatever, whatever path does it. I'm, I'm, I'm um, really open to, to whatever works for someone. Um, because it's, you know, like what you're saying from an Advaita Vedantic perspective, like Vedas or Vedanta, it's like this world and body, it's just a distraction, right? It's like, we're just, we just want our concerned with the thing that does not die, the immortal, that is just focus on that and don't get so wrapped up in all this stuff. And then the classical tantric pers perspective, like non-dual Shaivist Tantra would say, well, this is just this, all of this, like you're saying, the body, it's just as much as God. 
as anything else, it's all God. There is nothing that is not, and there is nothing that is not sacred. And so how do we use this body and how do we use the senses and how do we play and not get attached? And to me, it's so hard. It's, it's a bit, it's a harder because I've, I've practiced in both and I, um, have studied both. And, and I tell you the tantric approach, and I'm talking about classical tantra, not necessarily neo tantra right now. Um, but also sure. Um, it's just a harder, it's like playing with the fire because it's all so fun and it's harder to not, for me, it's been a lot harder to not get identified with all the worldly delights. And, and when I can, it's that much more powerful. It's like, wow, you know, I just feel catapulted. Um, my path just really takes off. If that's the thing, <laughs> but um, there's something that I I thought to mention when we were talking earlier about there's a teaching in classical tantra called pure motive, mm. and I learned this from a teacher that I had, Christopher Wallace. He's a he's a, a tantric scholar, and um, it's just a game changer. For my students, for myself, this these pure motive for practice. It's like, what is the motivation? Why do we do this thing in the in the first place? And in order to understand why we do it in the first place and um, understand what pure motive is, a easier way to understand it can be sometimes to understand what the impure motives are. Yeah. And that the impure motives are, I practice because I want, well, number one is because I want to get better. I want to get fixed. And then the second one is I practice because I want to be happy. <laughs> and then the third one is I practice for myself, my own personal gain or recognition or acknowledgement or reinforce some kind of identity of a practitioner or a good teacher or whatever it is. But these are three impure motives. And I'll just go through, I'll go through them super, super briefly. Yeah. That first one. And let me start by saying, if pure impure, if those words don't really work, and just toss them out and use effective and ineffective because that's really all it is. It's like impure just means ineffective. It means your practice of the realization um, of your truth and who you really are just won't be effective if you stay with these motives. And so that first motive of I'm practicing to get better or to get fixed or to be healed just isn't effective because underlying it betrays this subtle, subtly violent belief that you are broken. Mm -hmm. And I say, I say violent because it's like, you know, like there's something inherently wrong with me and I am broken and I am something that needs to be fixed. And if we, stay there in our practice with that motivation, it just won't be effective because 
it's based on sand. It's like our whole sand castle. It's made out of sand because it's not true. It's not in line with reality, capital R reality. It's not true that you are broken or I am broken on a fundamental, absolute level. We are infinite, eternal, and whole, like you were saying. Um, and so if we stay in that and listen, who hasn't like, that's why a lot of people come to the practice. Like we were just talking about in the first place, right? It's like, I go to the gym, I go to wherever, because I just want to be better. I want to be a better version of myself and right on. I think everybody can relate to that. I can for sure. I want to feel fucking better. I just want to feel better. I want to be a better person. And, and then something happens like you're saying if you eventually you know there's a spark or something there's an experience or you have a good teacher to guide you along the way and say okay now it's time to readjust your rudder because if you just keep sailing in that direction with that belief that you're broken then the practice won't be effective so the antidote for that is I practice in the name of love. I practice in the name of love for myself, for all beings, for all that is. And it's a very different motivation for practice. And it's a readjusting of the rudder. And then for the in ineffective or impure motive of I practice to be happy. Like, I just want to be happy. The antidote for that one is I practice in the name of truth. Mm. Because God knows this path is not always happy, meaning bringing happiness, right? Anybody who's done this work like knows it, it gets, it can get intense. Yeah. And so the, if you make the, the motive, Okay, I'm not in this to be happy because, you know, it's not about being happy all the time, being comfortable all the time. It's about truth. And it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with feeling discomfort and getting out of your comfort zone. But just setting, again, your rudder to the truth. And then the third ineffective motive is I practice to reinforce some identity for recognition, for power for to have influence over people or whatever it is the antidote to that is i practice to be in service of and of benefit to all beings mm -hmm. just practice for the benefit of all beings and so i can find all three impure motives in myself and then i just I'm in this practice of really sitting and contemplating pure motive. And before I teach, I, I just say, may it be in the name of love, truth, and for the benefit of all beings to, to just realign with pure motive for practice. And I think that teaching can be a real game changer for people. Like, why am I doing this? And if it's just constantly saying it because I want to post a picture and look good in my yoga pants, you know, fair, it's fair, it's human. And 
And if it just stays there, the practice becomes ineffective and flat and very one-dimensional. Yes. So it's good to ask the questions of like, what am I doing here? Wow. This is really powerful. There's so much to unpack in that, so much to talk about. <laughs> uh, so that affirmation, that's, that's something that is just so succinct and clear that the last piece of just how to put it all that together and bring in the pure motive. Love that. Uh, that's something I'm sure teachers listening could use as well and approach their teaching. So I want to start with the first one. So the first impure motive again, just as what is the impure motive again to say that part? The impure motive is I practice to fix myself, to be fixed or to get better. Right. So how human, how human, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, there's so many valid reasons people might come to practice. Like, oh, I've got this back pain and my doctor said I should do yes. yoga. Or going through the grief of a loss of a spouse or family member. And I want to get on my mat to process that. Yes. So what are, where's the line you think of like how you use the practice without using the practice in a way, right? I think it's a constant paradox. I think being a human, you know, um, there's so many things, at least when I teach, that seem paradoxical. And I always say to my students, like, yeah, because the spiritual path, if we want to call it that, is is just rife with paradox because it's a paradoxical situation. We're human beings, but we're also, I mean, I believe this. Uh, you know, obviously, it's my own personal belief. Um, we're spirit in human bodies and these meat suits. So there's there's definitely this automatic paradox with that. Right. And I, I think the whole thing is about one word. It's so simple. It's not easy necessarily, but just notice. Mm. Just notice as much as you can. Notice. And in that one word, notice that we that there's so many concepts around making making it sound so um, deep, and it's really awareness, right? Yeah. Just notice. If you just notice, that's it. Yeah. As much as you can, come back to noticing what are my what are my intentions and. And then you just decide, what are you doing the practice for? Not everyone is doing the practice because they have to realize their true nature. And that's cool. Like, you know, everyone's on a different path. But the, the thing that that's what yoga was designed for. It's a system of self-realization, capital S, self. And so if, if, so the assumption is that people go into yoga for that reason, for to realize the self, but not everyone does. And that's cool. And so I'm here for the people that are really have a genuine and earnest aspiration to do that. Yeah. And, and 
and to notice all the human things that come up, like I am just on the mat some days. I mean, for sure, I'm just on the mat and on my cushion some days. All of it comes up. But I'm sitting there bored out of my fucking mind. I'm watching my mind go crazy. It's like I get off the cushion and I'm like, did that? I might as well. Who knows? I, I didn't feel like anything was happening. Something needs to happen, right? Um, and I do it sometimes just to feel better, all of it. Yeah. And I think the differentiator is just to notice, just to, just to be awake to it. Like, I think that is the number one, number one thing. If you're interested in ultimate truth, then just be awake as much as you can to what the motives are and have the courage to adjust your rudder when necessary. There's a couple things I was reminded of there, like the Carl Jung, psychologist in the early 1900s, talked about how he predicted that the most essential skill in the 2000s, where we are now, is to be the ability to tolerate paradox. As the world gets more expanded, more connected, more complicated, it's it's like this. And like we need to be able to tolerate and like you can do an entirely physical asana practice and have a spiritual experience or be trying to meditate and you have nothing and, yeah. and that could be just like satisfying your ego of like oh look everyone i meditated for 60 days in a row it's like did you what did you <laughs> <do>? <laughs> you know <laughs> So it's, yeah, the, the noticing, I love that too. Of, like, it reminds me of a Bruce Lee quote, I think it was, where he talks about like, teaching martial arts to people and how um, a, a, t a teacher, like a decent teacher would teach you like how to do a technique and how to do something and follow them and do it like they do it. But a great teacher would teach you to yes. in of like noticing. Yes you're experiencing rather than just what you're doing man that's so my jam that's yeah. it that's it jeremy because also like being a teacher you know for i mean i started teaching yoga in 2009 and all the different relationships with this word teacher that i've been through and the relationship has changed with teacher and it's it's like because it can be again just another identification yeah. and 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 really becoming an, an a thing that is the hindrance on the on the path and and ultimately what i realize now is i'm not there's nothing to teach it's it's about unlearning it's about an unlearning of everything that we think we know um everything i think i know all of the identities all of the conditionings all of the wounds all of the traumas all of the things that seemingly make up susan um, an unlearning and the dissolving there. And so it's like, well, then well, how does somebody teach if there's nothing to learn? <laughs> and, and so that's where self-inquiry comes in because it feels like the cleanest kind of teaching for me, meaning the most honest, because it's just how do I hold space and facilitate the process of people going back into themselves to realize 
the answers are already there. There's, it's not, I can't give it to you. No one can give it to you. You can't learn it in the book. It's not anything that can be learned or come from outside. It's, it's self-realization. It's self-inquiry. So don't look at me for the answers. And I, I don't know mine. It's just about don't know mine. There's always a question mark at the end of a end of the sentence and not a period. Mm. Um, because the one that thinks they know misses the whole thing. It's like missing reality because I know. I already know that's a tree. That's the, I walk around in a tree, bush, lake, flower. I know. And, and it's a different way to walk through the world than to just open mind. I call it soft brain. Um, just to let things in and experience reality directly. Because most of us experience reality through our, we, it's our own mind. We need our own minds, our own stories. Yeah. Yeah, the inquiry is, in a lot of ways, the most valuable work that I've done. Like I've done a lot of trainings and personal work and things like this. And if I had just like listened to the lectures or taken in the words or the training, it's valuable. But when I've given exercises or inquiry or processes to go within, that is all of the sort of stages of growth or levels of like realization or new insights, that's really where it comes from. And like the biggest changes in my life or uh, the biggest, you know, letting go or, or transformations, you know, that, that, that has come through the Svadhyaya, the self-study, self-inquiry kind of work. And there's no, no one can do that for me. Like they say, like uh, you're, your personal trainer can't do your push-ups for you. Right. So that is, and that's like, can't just scroll through social media and get this. Like you have to actually go within. And uh, I love that you teach that, but I, I do think that is where the the real work happens. And the yoga mat too is also like doing the practices, but uh, that's more like body and spirit. But then for the mind, the, the journaling, the writing, the inquiry is where you can untangle a lot of that stuff. And then, then you can see, uh, <laughs> I, I like this other quote, this end quote from Alan Watts of like, you know, when I was first uh, on my spiritual path, mountains were mountains and the ocean was the ocean. And then after a while, the mountains weren't just the mountains anymore. And the ocean was not just the ocean. And then after another while, the mountains are mountains and the ocean is the ocean. So it's like we kind of go through this cycle of, oh my gosh, I'm having those realizations. And then it's like, okay, I'm just being now. And it's, it's nothing to really get to. But we do, I think, on the spiritual path to really connect to this part of ourselves, we do need to go through that deep inquiry and realizations, like uncover these things, stop destroying relationships, stop ruining self-destructing, stop making bad choices, hurting ourselves, <laughs> hurting others. 
sometimes we have to go really deep into that to realize that uh, and make those mistakes. But uh, but yeah, then we can have a sort of freedom and like play and joy. And I think there's like getting back to the childlike curiosity is a big part of my motivation to practice that sort of awe about life to like look at a tree with awe, look at flowers with awe, which I um, I think people go to psychedelics and drugs for that, which is great. Like that can get you there, but it's more of a state like for a moment or maybe a day or so. But I think the yoga practice is like a, uh, a continual psychedelic experience where you can be in that state sustainably and like access it sustainably, right? Totally. Yeah. Oh, very well said. Right on. <laughs> yeah. That that's it. It's like um there's just an unfolding happening. Like life is just happening and meaning path are unfolding and there's no wrong path I, I just I trust reality so somebody else's path might not look like mine it's theirs yes it's theirs and I don't know but we, we it's like I think I know right I mean if you just look at social media and you look at everyone knows the answers <laughs> for everybody else yeah. <laughs> right it's like, and I, I understand it. It's like something works for me. And then I know for sure, this is what everyone needs to do. And this will work for you. And, um, I just noticed it doesn't work that way. And the dignity, just trusting life and giving everyone the dignity of their own path. And because that's reality anyway, um, I have no idea. And the reason I bring that up is because of what you, what you said, like you go through this process or you go through the mountains and mount or mountains and the rivers river. Um, because I think about my own life and I think about like, specifically, I know that there was a lot of years there where I was just, doing meditation retreat after meditation retreat after meditation retreat. And I got to this place where I was like, oh yeah, I get that. I get it. I'm, I'm so evolved. Like nothing bothers me, you know? Oh my gosh. And, um, I just thought I had it all figured out. And, and then I found the teacher who was meant for me and just, it was like, like a slap in the face. It was, a lot of psycho spiritual work, which um, is about getting involved in the story of things instead of like, I'm just going to sit here and it's not, in the, it's not real anyway. You know, it's all an illusion and I'm just going to sit here and meditate. And, um, and then I had my path changed and it was like, whoa, I got a teacher. It was just like, yeah, look, why don't you look a little deeper? Let's look underneath the rug. And and it was shocking for me. And, and I look back at those times in my past, however, and realize like the wisdom of it. I mean, I don't beat myself up for it and just imagine that I should have known things that I didn't know because that's insanity. Like what's the reality? People know what they know when they know it. 
And so um, it was, it's just a, a good lesson for me of like, oh, I, and I imagine that there's plenty of things that I don't, don't see now, the blind spots that I don't see. And it's okay. And I just trust like the wisdom of the psyche to reveal itself. And I trust my practice and I trust the unfolding and the ripening. And because of that, I trust other people, you know, I trust other people to know what is right for them. Like also in my drinking days, you know, I used to drink, I don't drink anymore, but I used to drink like self-destructing for many years. And people would look at like a drunk on the street, passed out on the street or something and be like, oh, this person is on the wrong path. And it's like, is it true? <laughs> Their path. Yes. Yeah, that's what I love about Vedic astrology that I do is it's just so clear if, it, like, especially if you look at, like, people who are very opinionated on, like, politics and stuff like that, you can see in their chart, of course they would think that way. And, of course, they're going to feel their way is totally just and true. And and then the other, the other side is, like, of course they're going to think that way. Right. And, of course, you know, you look at other charts, you know, when I do readings, it's like, it makes sense you would go through this experience or you would, this is just like part of your path and it's perfect and okay. You know, it's, it's such an illusion that we have, like everything should be happy or good or positive or, and we just don't show the negative as much or when we do, it's more like dramatized in movies or media or stuff like that. But it's like everybody struggles. Everybody goes through depression. I've gone through depression I struggle still, like all these years of practice, you know. And yeah, me too. Anybody who says they don't is just trying, you know. It's just it's just a, a lie. Like I don't believe, it. I I don't buy it, you know. But maybe you know, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe there's things I'm open to that. But uh, I also just want to not perpetuate any illusion that like I have it all figured out or I know what I'm doing or. I'm a student on the path and just sharing my experience. And I think you are too. And I think uh, that's what makes a great teacher too. And the teachers I've resonated with are more authentic in that path and their you know, ups and downs too, and not trying to be something they're not or be perceived a certain way. And people always just fall, you know, just the last 10 years, like all the, all the idols have fallen, you know, basically in yoga world. So and yeah, and I I had a, a a guru a guru um that also fell and what a, again like I just life is very kind in my experience it doesn't always feel that way right like but I see I see now how it was just it was here for me it was so hard when it happened because guru relationship it's hard to explain for um people who haven't experienced it well at least for me it was you know very deep and sacred and all of those things and then this happened and it called everything into question everything I thought I knew and what a relief 
because it just woke me up to like no one's coming to do this for you you know this is your job it's not anybody else's job and it revealed this codependency and if I hadn't you know who knows how long I would have been lost in that thing and so I feel like the world is here to wake me up and sometimes the lesson just takes a little bit longer for me for my body to catch up to <laughs> to that like sometimes it hurts and I don't want to see how it's happening for me and not to me but eventually it's revealed it's very clear now why those things happen so or why yeah. that thing in particular happens right I have a friend, a couple going through a breakup, like they were on the path of, they were engaged, going to get married, have babies, like they were, had this whole thing about their house together and, and they realized it wasn't true to them anymore. Like they were just months away from the wedding and, um, and it's been this big unraveling and everything. And basically I was talking with. Uh, yeah, I'm friends with both of them still, you know, it's all, it's basically the, it's, it's just what is true. That's what they're orienting towards. Not like, oh, the pain, the loss. It's like, right. it actually isn't true anymore. And it was true to get to this point and grateful for it. And this is what we got from it. And, and then they're going their separate ways, dissolving all that. And it's painful. And talking to her about it it's like basically this is the price to to be in your truth the price of letting go of the place letting go of the identity the the vision of the mother yeah man it's not easy as you know they're both going through a lot of that but also it's they couldn't just continue on to avoid the pain and just pretend like it was true and that is a place where sometimes no practices work and no no one can really save you. Like you could talk to friends, you could talk to teachers. Um, yeah, and the, it, it's just like, got, you gotta go within and you've gotta connect to, you gotta just be in it in a way. Like even doing practices might not be the thing that, you know, it's just you gotta be in it for a while. Yeah. Which could be a practice in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, what you're taught, what you're saying, the thing that reverberates through my whole body is courage. The kind of courage that that takes. Man, I just, my hat is off to your friends. Yeah. That's powerful, that kind of courage. Yes. Yeah. And that's what yoga, sex, and death is about. Right. And so it, it, that's it. Exactly that. And, you know, I have, I have friends that have taken it that are like, is this going to make our relationship better? Because we're in a, you know, people want guarantees. They want like, just I'm going in this and they have agendas and it's like, it just doesn't work like that. Like yoga, sex, and death doesn't work like that. 
And it's a hard fucking thing to market <laughs> because of that. <laughs> because people want to hear, we're going to fix you. But we've already established, like, there's nothing to fix because you're not broken. I mean, if you want to get closer to what the truth is for you, that's it. That it does. That it does. Which leads to peace, self-trust, power, personal power, freedom. I mean, radiance, all of the things. But it just, that courage to see the truth, it, it necessitates that courage, you know. Right. Yeah, and in all three of those things, like you can't fake it. Uh, you, they have to go deep within it. You have to be courageous with yourself. Uh, you have to be vulnerable. Uh, I mean, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to. You could, <laughs> you could not do those things, but it's, not, it's all going to be a lot more painful and a lot <laughs> more suffering. Uh, that's been my experience. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to, so we kind of went a long way with just that first one, going back to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the real antidote to that, the uh, intention of love, right, is that the the way to work with that? That's that's what you said, right? Um, the antidote, yeah, for the, for the impure motive of I'm, there's something to fix or that I'm broken the antidote for that is love I'm I am love I can never not be love and I practice in the name of that love and the celebration for myself and I get it's just these are just little guideposts you know like you just remind yourself and notice and keep noticing where you're at and then just little guideposts the second and then the second one which you just brought up the impure motive of I practice to be happy and like your friends they weren't they weren't there they're not in it they're not in relationship it sounds like they're not in life just to be happy like they have a motive for truth yeah the pure motive for truth and it doesn't mean not always being happy exactly you just gave the perfect example for that and in a way, you could say it's like the law of attraction people work with. You be the thing rather than need something to be that thing. Right. Be happy to practice rather than practice to be happy. Right. Right. Or you be happy. Um, you choose like to find the truth and have like find when you are connected with truth there is a happiness and joy in that right that that's that paradox right <laughs> the par the paradox is i mean generally speaking when i am resting in that truth there's happiness comes some peace and freedom comes and it might be a different kind of peace and freedom than you've been conditioned to experience your whole life. Like we get used to that sensation, a hit of a spike or some kind of peak or some kind of instant. And that that's what happiness is. But this is a different kind of, this is um, 
sitting in truth is just like happiness not dependent upon any external situation or object. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah. So, I'm going to repeat the third one. Yes. Okay. And then the third one was practicing um, the impure motive is practicing to gain recognition or to reinforce an identity, to gain power, influence over other people, just to, it's, you know, this is the one I call spiritual ego. Man, I just feel like for myself, I mean, I practice on myself, number one, always, first and foremost. So all of these conclusions that I'm talking about are just because I've seen them in myself. The, the subtlety of the spiritual one, you know, the spiritual ego, that spiritual identity. And I've lived in spiritual communities now for, I don't know, 13 years. And it's just my friends, my close friends, we all can see it in each other. You know, this like spiritual identity. And I'm, because I'm a spiritual person or I'm a good person or this is what a good... You know, it's very um, subtle, and I think it's the one of the biggest obstacles on the spiritual path. That is, because it's the toughest to see, because it's done in the name of righteousness. Because I'm, this is, I'm just trying to be right and good, and so I hold, I gotta hold on to these things. It's such a blind spot. Yeah. And I think that's part of what created the, I mean, there's a lot of elements to this, but the, the guru kind of role in, in the yoga practice and uh, giving away authority and power to the yes. person seat in the front of the room. Yes. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. Yes. But wait a minute, who is this person? What are they doing when we're not? When they're not on that cushion in the front of the room, why do I give my power to them? Right. What am I doing? <laughs> why am I doing this? Why Why am I doing this? You know, which is where I lived for when that happened with my group. It was like, what's that about? Where did that come from inside of me? Outsourcing my own authority. What is, you know, I just get real interested about why. Right. Right. And usually doesn't end well when we do that. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it is, you know, there's a element of that. Like we, I'll speak for myself of like growing up without a father and difficult childhood and all this, just wanting direction, wanting answers and like wanting some sort of meaning and guidance. So Finding spiritual teachers, well, philosophers first, and spiritual teachers uh, was always very helpful to me and gave me a lot of guidance in finding my teacher, who I was very fortunate. My first major teacher, Matab, I think, just continually like would not let me give him my power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, answers like, "Will you tell me about this?" And he's like, "Well, I think you know." No. I was like, "That's not the right answer." <laughs> <laughs> right. That. Uh, 
so grateful. Like he never took my power. Like I tried to give it to him. Right. Right. And some teachers will accept that and, and tell yes. you what never doesn't go well in the long run. Uh, so I think there's less and less of that now and more of like this kind of post-lineage world we're in now with teachers where we're guides. We are the fingers pointing at the moon. We're not the moon. Uh, and don't look at me. Look over there. Look within. Notice. Pay attention. Ask questions. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of uh, now recoil the more the more spiritual somebody is on the surface. Like, right. oh, <laughs> that's great for you. I'm gonna, you know, my spiritual practice might just be sitting and on the floor and looking into space for a couple for a while. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> don't need the right. necessarily. Don't need the mantras necessarily. You know. Right. You know, that's that's what I go back to, like the drunk passed out on the floor or whatever, that somehow that's not a spiritual path. I mean, if we just open up our minds a little bit, it's like, how could anything not be? Like, um, it's just, it's reality. And I mean, reality is God for me. So it's just as, wise there's no just who's to say it's um but the but the eye comes in but i know for sure that that is not the way and that things should be like this instead and i mean that's the the one who centers themselves as like the whole world from that one perspective egocentric mm. you know yeah and I like the, the Sufis have a lot of great poems about being drunk on God, using alcohol as a metaphor. Yeah, yes. Right. There's an open mind right there. That's <laughs> it. That's it. It's like, where does the brain go? Where does the mind go? Yeah, drunk. What is it even? Anyway, I could go. I could riff here for a long time because that's what I do. I mean, that's, that's self-inquiry. Yeah. Um don't know don't know <laughs> i don't know and i mean and don't get me wrong i definitely have <laughs> opinions and beliefs about the way things should be and and then i just kind of you know after a while it's like the work is in alive in you and it's just immediately it's followed with is it true everything there's just kind of is it true the work of Byron Katie is something that we do in the retreat. I don't know if you're familiar with the work yeah. of Byron Katie. So I, I used to do, um, for many years, I was studying Yana Yoga, J-N-A-N-A, -N -A, like Ramana Maharshi, who am I, Atma Vichara kind of self-inquiry. And like, who am I? That's, that's Atma Vichara. That self-inquiry is just asking the question, who am I? What am I? Whatever word works. Um, and then I came to the work of Byron Katie and was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is Atma Vichara. This is ask, just sitting and ask, asking the question, who am I? But with a little bit more of a spin to it for more modern, dense minds. Yes. Um, so to me, I see it through that lens because that was, 
Ayana yoga, yani yoga. Um, I see it through the, the, the lens of a yani, right. the work of Byron Katie. And that's just my jam. That for me is the, so direct. And it's really good for relational stuff, which yoga is not really. Uh, actual yoga practices and stuff is all very much internal and very much personal. So how do we manage the interpersonal and like her, the work process for anyone listening, you can just Google the work and PDF, like you'll get the whole process. It's very simple, but work.com. Yeah. Yeah. Very deep. And like, it does really help to have someone guide you and facilitate you through it too. But it's so good with like, uh, when you're judging someone when you're triggered by someone when you're relational stuff like that was where I felt inept for after years of yoga training like mm -hmm. relationships kind of gotten worse because <laughs> I was like right. oh I know how to handle this I'll just meditate it's like right no, not addressing the other person and the impact and the relationship Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, work. yeah, go ahead. Well, no, that sounds a lot like my path also, very similar. And then I, you know, okay, well, how do we do this in an in a body, in an embodied way with other bodies? And how does all this translate into relationships and relating? And that's, that's the, been the exploration that was. And it still continues to be an exploration, but then that was the sex part, right? It's like, how do I take all this yoga stuff and bring it into? So it's yoga, sex, and death just isn't about sex. Like, let's figure out how to have good orgasms, right? It's like it's about intimacy and letting go, and as that applies to relating and and sensuality and sexuality and what are the things that are blocking me from having the things that I say that I want in intimacy and asking yourself questions about, well, what's really happening inside of myself and, and doing it in a relational way. Um, that's really what it's about. Of course, it's a course that operates on all the bodies, right? All the different levels, the physical, the energetic, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. And so there's practices for every level. So we do work on the energy body and moving energy in the practice of lovemaking and sexuality. But it's not, that's not the, it's not a period at the end of the sentence with that, right? It's like, yes, and there's also emotional stuff to look at. So we do shadow work to go into the, the blind spots emotionally, the things that we don't want to feel and we've been hiding from ourselves. There's specific exercises that we do to, to just kind of ask questions for you, for things to be revealed on an emotional level. And then there's the energetic component and there's the mental and spiritual levels of inquiry because inquiry is very mental and also it leaves you it can leave you without a story. Mm. And then who are you without your story? I mean, God. 
Yeah. You know, the realization of truth. Right. I'm so glad that you're teaching this uh, from this grounded perspective because the sexuality is something that was not ever talked about in my first few years of yoga studies. And I think that's part of why it becomes such a shadow issue with yoga teachers, particularly the male guru kind of teachers who you find out are doing all these sexual things that they've hidden and suppressed and secretive shadowy things. Uh, and what if there was just a dialogue about it? What if there was actually like overt communication about what their sexuality is or what they're wanting? Yes. Right. <laughs> and know what they're signing up for or not and choose, you know? And, but there's so much in the power dynamics with that, that I think I've, I've lost a lot of their power in society. There's less of these like guru kind of figures to abuse the power. But I love that you're teaching this because uh, it needs to be talked about. Like we can't just pretend we're not sexual beings uh, unless you actually are going to be celibate. Great. But then actually be celibate and, and, and do that. Uh, and if you're not going to, then stop and, and tell people, you know, and just be upfront if, where the sexuality is in your teachings or not. It's not something in my teachings, but... I am a sexual being. I've done a lot of work in sexual training myself, but I have basically kept it kind of separate from my yoga world and experience, but still doing that deeper work. And as a male, I've struggled with like how to integrate those two things. And this is maybe like a whole other episode with you about just that, but. Oh my uh, gosh, we should do it. Yes. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And I think it's an important topic because if we don't talk about it, it, it becomes hidden, repressed, denied, and then exaggerated. And then it blows things up and it becomes this big shadow. So it's something I've done a lot of work on integrating in myself. But I just, for me, I have found like there's my yoga teaching, which is kind of sacred space for practice. But then there's my own human sexual experience and sexual spiritual experience as well that I've done in other contexts. But uh, to bring them together as a male has been something I've been like, you know, it's a longer conversation that we could have for sure about that. But I'm curious, like your experience of doing this work and, you know, and teaching this to women or do you teach men as well? Or have you worked with men in this? Like, how do you navigate all these things I'm sharing here. So good. Um, I just really, A, want to acknowledge the um, courage in sharing your own experience, the vulnerability that that takes. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. And just as you said, because we have this idea that it shouldn't be talked about. I don't, there's something shameful about it. Um, and it just perpetuates the, it perpetuates this division between myself as a sexual being and my yoga practice. Um, 
So I just appreciate your candor. And I think there's a lot of guys that will benefit from just you saying what you've said and any kind of conversation that you have on this podcast around this. Um, so I, when I started out doing these teachings, well, kind of a story, Jeremy, but I, yeah, I was teaching men. And then I, and then it became clear to me that there was stuff in my own um, personal story that had not been integrated and healed, having to do with the masculine, my own inner masculine. And so I stopped. I, I just said, I'm not, I've got to do my own work. I think I need to spend some time in my own work. And we have been teaching women primarily yoga, sex, and death was only open to women until last year. And for the first time, um, I started, I brought men in and I had a male co-facilitator named Keith. Um, and we just to, just to test it out and see how that worked. I just really have such compassion for these guys that showed up and feel more, I feel stronger than ever that there needs to be space, a space for men to be able to have these conversations with each other. It's for sure, I can tell you it's very different when it's a mixed energy, when there's women and men in the room, because we would separate, like the, the guys would go with Keith sometimes and do their, their work, and the women would go with me sometimes, and then you bring everyone together, and it's just such a different space energetically. So to me, that means we need those spaces for men to be with men for women to be with women um and also the space for us to come together and even though it might be a little bit more uncomfortable and maybe not for everyone but um it's so valuable to have those conversations together but they are different conversations they go very differently when when everyone's together so I, I do, that's where I'm at with um, working with men. It's, it's, I'm introducing it back into my, into my life after a lot of years of just being in my own work and now feeling, okay, I'm, I'm ready. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, are you, are you, are you, are you sure? And like, are you ready? You know? Because we just as teachers, as humans, project all of our own stuff onto other people. And so I, for me, it's just so important to be in my own work and, and be clear internally, as clear as I can be. Yeah. Yeah, it was so relieving to me years ago to find men's groups to talk about these things just to talk about and 
I, it is something I want to create more too. I think there's a big need for it and a lot of sort of confusion or difficulty around like, you know, the inquiry of what does it mean to be a man in modern society and with all the societal changes that have happened around like gender roles and things like this in the last couple of decades. And what does it mean to be uh, to create a safety and sexuality for men? It's such a deep inquiry. So I love that you're offering this work and it is a space that you're creating to do that work. It's much needed. And I think there's, I, I know women need it too. I see a lot of women doing that. I see that there's more spaces for that. Right. Yes. And, uh, there's a great need for the men and also then to come together uh, and that's even more vulnerable, more courageous, more powerful work too. So I love that you're offering it and I, I think we'll we'll have another longer conversation just on that because it's such a deep topic. But uh, yeah, that's it's it's a it's an amazing offering that you're doing and you, this, the current iteration it's like a uh, self-paced and there's like a retreat or something yeah yeah so there's three different formats you can do it online self self-paced um that's yoga sex and death basics so it's basics there's no um self-inquiry in that one but um it's just the basic concepts of what yoga sex and death is about and then i we do it in a six-week course in person in los angeles lucy who's been doing work with me for five years now has trained to also facilitate yoga sex and death she teaches it in los angeles six week course um and that's it's one day a week all day for six weeks and then the in-person retreat which is what i'm teaching it's um an intensive and we go from saturday to saturday or a whole week the next one is in november and that does include men the co-ed is in november so you know all you guys out there if you're up for it this is the thing i'm i'm not sure if it if there is a demand like i feel like there is a demand in turn like guys want it but also it's scary and it's all new these spaces for men to talk about sexuality and so it takes a lot of overcoming, and I'm going to say trauma response to actually say yes and sign up to do something like this. Um, but there are guys that do it, that do, and I'm here for it. So this is one of the connecting pieces between yoga and sexuality. In yoga, we become very intimate with our bodies, like, uh, you know, just that body awareness where most of us have spent so much time disconnected or dissociated from the actual felt sense of emotion in our bodies or sensations in our bodies. And yoga is about cultivating that body awareness, which you're doing when you practice. And then also an intimacy with the breath. You learn to practice your breathing and how it's connected to the physical body. 
and how the breath is connected to the energy body in your practice. And so all of that is what happens when we make love with another person, right? So it's really impossible for it not to spill over your yoga practice into your practice of love making or sexuality. It it just all goes together. Just becomes now how do I consciously take all of these things I've discovered, this intimacy that I've found with my body, my breath, my energy, my emotions, and bring it now into this sphere, consciously work with my breath and move energy for a deeper connection with another. It's like, you know, you start with yourself, that deep connection and that deep intimacy here. And then in the act of lovemaking, it's just about expanding that field that you've already created within yourself. Now it expands to include another. So I imagine that you have had some of that, you know, crossover and um, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not that different really. It's right. The more intimate you can be with yourself, the more intimate you can be with your partner. And they go together really well. So I'm glad that you're, you're bringing them together in your teachings, in your offering. Yeah. And so the, the, just to clarify for anyone listening later, this is 2023, this fall, that's the in-person event. Uh, but your website, where people can find out more about the offers, what's the website? The website is samarasacenter.com. That's S-A-M-A. R A S A C E N T E R dot com. Center. Great. And the on demand version is available anytime? Yes, you can find it on the website. You go to samarasacenter.com and you have an option for YSC Basics there, which is the on demand and also the in person retreat. Awesome. Yeah, I think we've got a lot more to talk about <laughs> very soon. Uh, so I'd love to continue the conversation. It's been really great having you here. Great for me too. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Thank you for the opportunity and just saying, I want to say hi to all your people. And yeah, it's it's been fun. It's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's so much more I want to say right now too, but I'll leave it like a cliffhanger. It's like, yeah, <laughs> cliffhanger. Yeah. It's good to tune in part right. two. Right. I mean, there's just so much in these topics. So uh, thank you for having the courage to create this and offer this and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Me too. Okay, great. Stop the recording there. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's fine. A lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. And I'm happy to continue it whenever you want. It's a good, um, I like the, male perspective i think it's a juicy i think people like to hear it and i think it's a juicy conversation yes for sure um you is that guy facilitating with you at this next one too you're gonna do the co-ed stuff still i have one coming in june that's all women and then i have another one coming in november and that will be the co-ed and um 
I it's between I have two two guy friends that are um, just teachers that do similar work that I'm doing, and I'm just trying to figure out which which one. Keith yeah. is amazing. Keith is great, and you can he's living in Boulder, and his last name is McGinnis. He's he's a teacher there. Um, if you want to look him up also, um, he does authentic relating. He's a teacher of authentic relating and does a lot with sexuality in, in Boulder, um, open, the open Institute. Okay, cool. That's great. I wasn't sure on your website. Uh, I think I looked, but it's not clear like how sexual the event gets or the retreat gets. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, glad you I'll asked. Clarify that on the site. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not, there's no one having, just so you know, and um, there's no one, we're not having sex together. And there's no nudity. It's nothing like that. It's just mainly looking at our sexual shadows and and we do that through self-inquiry and we do it through different inquiry exercises yeah. um yeah so there's not it's more of a mental emotional work that i think that could help create safety for everybody just to have that very overtly on the site somewhere yeah mm -hmm. it's true because we do get that question sometimes so that's a good note. I'll we'll put that on the website. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, whenever like if you're getting closer to promotion or something, uh, that might be a good time to do the next interview. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that would be great. How long does it take you to put the like after we record it? How, about how long does it take you to then put it out? It can be pretty fast. Like this one, I'll do probably today or tomorrow, actually. So. Oh, amazing. Cool. So, yeah, usually it's pretty fast. Sometimes it might be a couple of weeks, but right now this is next. So. Okay, cool. I forgot I have another call. It, oh, wow, oh. that that went so fast. Okay, right. 1130. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay.